Politica's premier radio podcast. The Politica is a global affairs club operating under Boston University, in which we encourage intellectual conversation among students in pursuit of higher knowledge in the fields of political research. Today's podcast is the first installment of the Politica's regional series, which covers the politics and current affairs of different areas of the world. My name is Callie Glavis, and I'm the co-director of podcasting at the Politica. And I'm here today with some members of Boston University's Student Mexican Association to discuss the political climate in Mexico. Would you like to introduce yourselves and share a bit about the club? Hi, thank you for having us. I'm Regina Isidro. I'm the president of the Mexican Student Association at BU. And a little bit about our club is we basically celebrate our culture, our country that has so many wonderful aspects to it. Uh, Boston University is composed of several, uh, several diverse students. So we really try to, to create a community where people feel comfortable and safe and united, specifically in the Mexican community here. But anyone is welcome. And even if you don't speak Spanish, anyone that has an interest in our country is always welcome to join. We always try to incorporate educational meetings, but we also try to have fun together. We go out to eat at Mexican restaurants throughout the Boston area and just celebrate being Mexican. Hi, uh, my name is Monse Vargas and I'm the treasurer. I'm really happy to be here and thank you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ana Paola Mendoza and I am the secretary of the club and thank you for having us today. Sure, thank you so much for being here and for sitting down to talk to me about what's happening in Mexico today. So let's get started by discussing the recent feminist movement that's been growing in Mexico in the last year. What's been happening there and what's causing this turmoil and provoking such strong responses? Yeah, sure. Um, to start, I feel like it's really important to mention some of the figures uh, that have caused this feminist movement in Mexico. Uh, during this year, it is estimated that 10 women are killed each day. And so the society has uh, paid more attention into this topic. Um, the most important thing are the feminicides, uh, which uh, the World Health Organization generally defines as intentional murder of women because they are women. And so in Mexico, this happens every day and the government is not doing a lot uh, to protect them. One of the most important things that happened was on March 9 uh, of this year that women all over the country planned a strike to protest femicide. Uh, they didn't go to offices or restaurants or government buildings or schools. So the country was like completely empty. The women were just like in their houses. And the idea was to show all of the men of the country how would a country without women would be and how would that feel. And I heard a lot of opinions about my friends and my family, and they realized that their lives would be pretty empty without women. And so it really functioned like on the side that it dragged attention to the fact that women need to be protected because they are being killed every day. And so this was a really good movement, but still the government is not doing a lot to protect them. And another important topic that happened last week was the, um, there was this movement called Menstruación Digna, which in English would be uh, Dignified Menstruation. This was a bill that seek to eliminate taxes on sanitary pads, cups, and tampons. And so according to a feminist collective, uh, these products are not considered by the state as first necessity. And so there is a tax applied to the product because it's seen as a luxury instead of a biological condition. 
And so this was uh, discussed on the Senate and the proposal received um, 185 votes in favor, 218 votes against. And so it wasn't passed. Uh, and the Ministry of Finance, if this would have passed, the Ministry of Finance would have co stopped collecting 3.4 billion pesos annually for this tax. So that's like the main reason why this bill wasn't passed because of the economy. And it's, I feel like it's really showing how the country is working right now. Its main focus is on the money instead of the well-being of the people. And so this initiative was presented by the Federal Deputy of Morena, which is the party of the president. And her name is Wendy Briseño Zuluaga, and she mentioned uh, her dissatisfaction with this decision. And she also, she also stated that she will keep fighting for the 64 sorry, million of women in Mexico who deserve gender equality. And so this shows how um, the country is moving instead of towards gender equality, it's moving far away from it and just focusing on the economy. Yeah, uh, something that I wanna add on to what Monse just stated was how the government really isn't working with women and trying to protect them. Um, so for example, an article on CNN mentioned that April of this year was the deadliest month in the last five years with a record of 267 murders of women and that a record of 26,171 emergency calls about violence against women were made in March, uh, according to government data. But um, when, oops, sorry. Uh, but yeah, the president, the current president of Mexico, when asked about this by a journalist, he said 90% of those calls that serve as your base are false, it's proven. Um, so he basically said that all this was fake news. But then uh, Maria Salguero, a Mexican femicide investigator from CNN, uh, responded to that saying that it's not that the calls are false, it's that it's more that the calls aren't followed through to completion. So they're considered incomplete. So the government doesn't follow up on that. And later on, the government also launched a much ridiculed series of public service videos about how to prevent domestic violence during the stay at home order due to the pandemic. Um, and they were hugely criticized. It said that if an argument should break out between a man and a woman, they should count to 10 so they could relax and dissolve the situation. And people criticized it saying that in those 10 seconds, 10 women die. And a lot of people responded by naming 10, the listing names of like 10 women that have died like during that day. So it's just very frustrating to see that the government is working against us and protecting the economy of the country over women's rights. Just like adding on to like uh, Monta's point about the 9th of March, um, I was home for that. And I remember I didn't participate because it was supposed to be the day without women. And for like relatives that told me how it was, it's just like the streets were empty. Like I stayed home for the whole day because that was like the point of it for like the country to realize what it would be like and without us and like how the violence affect us because like women, it's like the women are like a big part of the population. So I thought that movement was like really important at least like socially, so yeah. Yeah, wow, that's very scary that that's happening there at that time. And it seems as though the government has been pretty ineffective and very irresponsive to the needs 
of the people, especially the women who are trying to fight back against this. I guess my next question would lead me to ask, what do you guys think that the government could do, could change as of now to prevent these murders or maybe to assist the women who are going through them? I know you mentioned that they were against passing the sanitary product bill that would, of course, alleviate a lot of financial stress for women across Mexico. But other than that, is there anything you think that the government could do to, I don't know, boost the message and help the people who are suffering from this? Uh, I feel like the government should at first just pay more attention into the topic and try to give more resources into the organizations that are actually trying to help the women because there are a lot of movements like there's a lot of organizations that are trying to give support to like the women who are uh, mistreated at their homes and uh, the issue is that, for example, if you suffer of, uh, I don't know, an, an abuse or something like that, and you go and file a report, sometimes or most of the times, those reports aren't even uh, taken further. Like, they just interrupt the process. And if you don't have enough proof of who was the abuser of, or of what happened, you cannot just, uh, you cannot finish the claim. And so I feel like the government should give more, uh, um, more tools to women and try to help them go through this process, maybe even give more money uh, to the organizations who are trying to help with the mental, mental health, for example, or uh, preparing better the, um, the police, for example, or, or the ones that follow these type of reports to try to actually take them somewhere and not just ignore them and saying like, well, that's not true, or maybe she's lying, because uh, the issue is that it is happening. It's just easier to say it isn't because it takes a lot of resources to, to make a change in a whole country. And so I feel like the best thing to do would be at first just giving the resources, paying more attention and trying to pass this type of bills like uh, the menstruation digna one, because it shows that you actually care about this, uh, this part of the population. And instead of just focusing or trying to, to say that they are lying or focusing on something else. So, yeah, it's just like a matter of, of paying more attention and showing that you care by giving the resources that are needed. Yeah, adding to that, I think it just, it starts with the government. I mean, if the president of the country is laughing about the subject and ridiculing it, nothing is gonna get done. People are gonna follow his lead. So it really starts with him and his government to try to alleviate and help the situation with the women. And this is, something like the dignified menstruation. This is a movement that you've been seeing around the world. It's not just in Mexico. Here in the US, people have noticed that we're getting taxed on products for menstrual for our menstrual cycle. So it's not just in the in Mexico. And I hope that they send the bill again to the Senate in the future with a better idea of like the situation. And I hope it can get ratified since I think it would really change the lives of several women in the country. And again, to what Monse said, allow, giving funding to several organizations that are trying to bring to light the situation and really try to help out the women that are just being abused against and killed on the daily. Yeah, sure. So that leads me to a further question, I guess, which is what can we as BU students or as American citizens do to help this crisis that's happening in Mexico? Are there any ways that we can maybe support the movement, donate or do anything to help the situation that's going on over there? I think 
a great step is with this podcast, awareness. It's always a good thing to talk about it. When things get ignored, nothing ever happens. Um, so like the big strike that the women did in Mexico in March of this year, where they just completely disappeared from the streets, it sent a message and it got people talking, finally. Um, so I think it's just keeping up with that. And us as an organization at BU, even though we're not in Mexico, we're still right next to it. Like it's a daily reminder as Mexican women ourselves that this is a real issue in our country that we really want to try to be a part of to try to fix. So I think it's just talking about it with anyone that will listen. Yes, I agree with uh, Regina. I feel like talking about this topic is a huge first step for people to realize what's happening. And I feel like the best change you can do is in your daily life and trying to make people aware of uh, the system that's oppressing women right now. And so if you are uh, willing to talk about it and to learn about it and to make a change in your life to try to avoid those type of uh, attitudes toward women, that's a great first step. Uh, there's also like a lot of uh, organizations. If you just look like Unifen uh, Mexico, you can donate online. And um, there's a lot of uh, different uh, movements right now that are trying to get more money to mainly protect indigenous women, which I feel like it's a great cause. But just having this type of, of uh, conversations and trying to bring awareness, because in the end, uh, social pressure towards the government is a great tool to make them do something. And so if they realize that people are actually talking about this, not only in Mexico, but also in other countries, they're gonna be forced to do something because it's the international social pressure that can actually make them do something because they wanna look good towards the other countries and they wanna have a good image. And so if they realize that people all over the world is uh, seeing what's happening in Mexico and happening to the women, I feel like that would be a, a great way to try to bring uh, the attention to it and maybe not solve the problem completely, uh, but at least trying to get some attention and maybe something could change. Yeah, just going off of Monsa's point, I think um, education is like a big part just with like everything. Um, I don't know if this is a topic internationally that people are aware of. Like I am aware of because like this is what happening back home, but I don't know if you're in the United States, if it's the same. And I think that could make a big impact because um, like the Me Too movement, um, I think it was last year or two years ago. I don't exactly remember the date, but it became like such a powerful movement and eventually became an international movement where it was like in France and here in like United States. Like I think that could like you know, spiral into something like that, into like awareness, because yes, like you cannot really do as much as being like, if you're not from the country or you're like, you know, you're not in Mexico, I guess, but just like the awareness of it. And maybe like that could like be a social pressure for like the government to like do something and like help women in general, because um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, thank you. That was, that was great. And I think it sounds like social pressure is big in inspiring movements, both in civilization and in the government. So it seems on the shoulders of both the civilian and the government representatives to be doing something about this. And I also thought your point about education was really interesting. It sounds like what's missing from this predicament and what's causing these issues is a lack of a woman's perspective. And that just leads me to ask if anyone would be willing to maybe run down the structure of the Mexican government and maybe share the statistics on how many women are in the government and whether you guys think that having more women would maybe add perspective and lessen these issues. Um, so this is not really about the government, but it's just like a point I wanted to add. Like 
Mexico is pretty much a sexist country. Like there's this thing called machismo, which is like, it's just so deep in like into like our society and culture. And I guess that's why you don't see as much like women's perspectives as you see as a man's perspective, just, just because like, um, that's, I guess how it's, our culture has been. And it's just like really deep within the roots. So um, right now, and the Mexican government, uh, this was something that the actual president AMLO promoted a lot, which is the, in, trying to include more women in the cabinet. And so he has like around 10 women who are in important uh, charges right now. Uh, for example, the Secretary of Economy, who is Graciela Marquez Colin. There's also like uh, uh, the Chief of Government, which is like a post in, in Mexico. Uh, she's uh, also a woman, and Claudia, Claudia Sheinbaum, and also like the Secretary of Energy, which is Rocío Nale. And so he was trying to to promote the presence of more women, also the Secretary of uh, Public Function, which is Irma Erendira Sandoval. Uh, but still, uh, the issue with the presence of this type of women is that they are really prepared. They have a lot of uh, knowledge in the topic and everything, but they are mostly uh, very conservative uh, on the side that they're not trying to promote the feminist movement. And so that's a huge issue right now in the country, because even though we have women who are in important um, functions and right now they're not trying to move the country towards a more progressive situation for the women. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was able to find uh, statistics for women in government in Mexico and currently in Congress women occupy 30%, 37% of the seats. In the Senate, women now occupy 34% of the seats and um, one in three women have seats in Congress. Two of the 11 ministers in Mexico Supreme Court of Justice are women. And 25% are local chamber of deputies. So although it has increased over the past few years, as you can tell, it's still below 50%. So it's definitely still an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and I hope like throughout the next few years, it can equal out more. So. Again, like Ana Paula mentioned, uh, there's been a systematic misogyny institutionalized throughout the government uh, for a long time. So I hope that in, through education and creating awareness, it can be slowly uh, defeated and overturned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope so as well. And the statistics, although they're a bit low still, are looking up and they are looking hopeful. So I hope for the best for that, not only for Mexico, but for other countries as well. The topic of government does bring me to our next subject, which is the transition from the North American Free Trade Agreement to the United States, Mexico, Canada Agreement. So the North American Free Trade Agreement was an agreement that I believe lifted tariffs across nations, which was instituted in about 1994. But there was a new one reinstituted in 2020, which is the US-Mexico-Canada Agreement and I was just wondering if you guys could talk about what changes are in place here and how these changes will affect Mexico and its people. Yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement was its predecessor that was passed in 1994 under Bill Clinton, and it involves the United States, Mexico, and Canada. But 
since uh, Trump entered his presidency in 2016, uh, he immediately mentioned that he wanted to overturn NAFTA and he wanted to draft a new trade agreement between the countries. And in 2018, he finally accomplished it. And the three leaders from the three nations mentioned signed the new treaty, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement or as in Mexico, it's called Tratado entre los Estados Unidos Mexicanos, los Estados Unidos de América y Canadá, y Canadá, Temec. Um, and this was put into effect this year, July 1st. We don't know what will be the ramifications for Mexico in particular. It's still too early to tell. And although for the most part, not everything has changed from its predecessor, it has adopted a lot of what NAFTA had already included, like uh, no tariffs between these three nations. It did include a, a more descriptive topic over digital trade and uh, intellectual property, specifically on, through media and online, since it's blown up in throughout the 20th century compared to the 1994 Treaty of NAFTA. It has also, uh, I guess you can say, enforced labor standards, particularly towards uh, Mexico, since that's where a lot of foreign investors go to. Uh, and it has also stressed the importance of the environment, which also kind of lacked in the NAFTA trade since it was more of uh, an appendix, I guess you could say. So yeah, it was more enforceable labor standards and it hopes to create more jobs in the automobile industry since that's one of the main uh, trading factors between the United States and Mexico. So unlike in NAFTA, it was required that 62.5% of automobile production happened in the US. It has now hired to 75%. Um, and Mexico has also committed to enacting sweeping legal changes to combat forced labor violence against workers, allow for independent unions and labor courts. And a sunset clause also requires that the three countries review after six years whether or not to remain in the agreement, which Mexico is not particularly happy about it. Uh, and if any country decides not to continue with the pact, the new trade agreement will expire in 16 years. Okay, so yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of change instituted there. So I guess the question that leaves me with is, how exactly is this going to affect the citizens of Mexico? Um, what are people's opinions on what's been going on in the government? And I don't know, what do you anticipate in the coming years as a result from this change? So uh, there was a lot of critics towards the uh, Mexico's president, uh, Lopez Obrador, because at the beginning when he was running for the presidency, he was attacking Trump for his racist comments and he was going really uh, strong against Trump and the whole campaign he was mounting about like in Mexico and how we are all like drug dealers, as he said. So, uh, so Trump arrived to the presidency uh, stating that he was against Trump and um, stating that um, he didn't like the opinion of, of uh, Trump towards Mexico. However, after this um, treaty, uh, there was a lot of critiques because he was shown in a very um, like easygoing and uh, flexible um, 
attitude towards Trump and his um, his points stated in the treaty. And the society, Mexican society, wasn't happy with this type of attitude towards Trump because it was supposed to be a moment in which Mexico wanted to stay what uh, they needed in, in the fact of like commerce and like work and their relationship with the United States. And instead AMLO showed a really flexible attitude and he wasn't defending the Mexican economy. And so people weren't really happy with him. And, and he also stated that Trump changed his opinion towards Mexicans, that he was now seeing them as good neighbors and as good people when we all know what he mentioned at the beginning of his presidency in the United States. And so that was the biggest issue that even though he was trying to make a good movement towards the Mexican economy and its relationship with the United States, uh, this was a little bit uh, confusing for the Mexican society as we know that AMLO was supposed to be a stronger figure that would stand in front of Trump. Um, just kind of like stating what this treaty would like mean. I guess it's too early to really know, but it's also important to mention that right now Mexico is going through um, two crises, the COVID crisis and an economic crisis. So I don't know if we could be like really able to see what this like the TMEC um, was you know, is able to do with the country because right now with like COVID and just like the economy in general, um, I don't, yeah, sorry, I totally missed out. Uh, yeah, just adding on to what Monse mentioned, uh, I guess the Mexican community was just very disappointed with uh, the agreement since how she mentioned AMLO was supposed to stand against Trump which is what he repeatedly mentioned when he was running for the presidency and once he was in office. Um, and immediately when Trump became president, even before, he had always mentioned his discontent with the NAFTA trade agreement. He said that it was the worst trade agreement uh, signed by nations. So immediately when he became president, he sought to remove it and come up with something new. And again, like any leader from a nation, their priority is to protect their own people, domestic producers. And that's particularly true for Trump with the agricultural section in the United States. And again, since when Trump, uh, Trudeau and AMLO finally met to discuss the new uh, trade agreement, we expected much more from uh, Mexico's president. And like Monsa mentioned, he sort of stood off to the side uh, was very flexible, didn't really have a strong opinion when it came to like what benefited Mexico when it came to this agreement. So unfortunately, we don't know what will be the ramifications. It's still too early to know. Like how Ana Paula mentioned, Mexico is currently going through two crises. And we just hope that it does benefit us in the long haul since Mexico and the US have always had a long and complicated history, but I know that it is possible to work together. It should be possible to work together. We, have, we both have so much to offer and so many things that could benefit the both of us if we work together. So we need to be on equal footing and it won't happen when our leader, Mexico's leader, um, is not working with the people, for the people.
Um, yeah, I think that's a really important point about working together and standing together, especially in times where we're suffering through environmental changes and also COVID. Definitely uniting as one would be fantastic right now, just in terms of agreements and in terms of social change. So I guess with the flexibility of Mexico's president, things might get a little difficult in terms of environmental change, which as we know, it seems that scientists are saying it is of the essence. Now's the time to make a change or else it may be too late. So I was wondering just on paper, if you think that, of course, I know you said that it's impossible to predict the future and we still don't really know what the ramifications of this treaty are gonna be, but are you guys worried at all about the state of Mexico's environment, of the surrounding environment? And do you think that this treaty is strong enough to reflect enough change to cut down on maybe gas levels and emissions? Personally, I am very worried about uh, the environment concerning Mexico's policy. Um, something that occurred this year was there's a marine animal called La Vaquita del Mar. Uh, so it's sort of like sea cow and it's native to Mexico. It's one of Mexico's national animals. Unfortunately, there are only 22 left in the world currently in the, uh, in the coast of Mexico. And the reason is, it's just they've been fished. Um, thousands of them have been fished uh, for decades since it's the bladder of the animals considered a delicacy in China. And fishermen get thousands, millions of dollars by producing them, I mean, by getting them for China. So it's very unfortunate. Um, and the US threatened to impose sanctions on uh, seafood from coming in from Mexico in order to prevent it, in order to get the government to act. Since at this point, it's only government policies, policies that can really truly make a difference in a situation that is soon gonna become unavoidable. Like it's very possible that this animal will become extinct. Uh, marine biologists are very worried so it all comes down to the response of the Mexican government, which unfortunately has not been great. And this is just one scenario. Um, Mexico has a lot of oil, which uh, provides a large part of like uh, Mexico's economy and influences it a lot. But unfortunately, the mishandling of it has been an issue, as well as the certain renewable energies that Mexico uses. It's very outdated. They still use coal, I believe, like very 1800s industrialized like energy sources. So I'm hoping with this new trade deal, both the US who also needs a lot of work in the environment sector and Mexico can work together and truly just coming up with better solutions since I think more than ever, like right now, uh, the environment is really, should be our number one concern. Since at, at a certain point, like we're just gonna pass a point where there's gonna be no return. If we don't start fixing things now, there's gonna be no solution in the future. So yes, I totally agree with what uh, Regina said, uh, I feel like uh, the fact that the trade included a clause uh, talking about the environment is just to be good uh, as like talking about green peace and stuff like that, like trying to protect the environment. They wanted to look good, but not because they actually wanted to make a change in neither of the, the countries. 
the fact that uh, Mexico's president AMLO has been shifting away the use of renewable sources is, is something we can clearly see. Uh, this president is trying to focus Mexico's economy on the use of um, oil and trying to export that because Mexico's economy basically depends on that. And so they, I'm pretty sure they just wanted to include that clause to try to look good towards the eyes of the world, but not because they actually wanted to make a change. And they've been shifting away, especially in regarding the industries. Mexico's government is trying to promote the use of oil, is trying to promote its trade with other countries and making the country depend more on this type of trade instead of trying to move towards the use of renewable sources and trying to make uh, international organizations or international uh, enterprises to come into the, into Mexico and try to invest on, that, on those types of, of uh, issues. They are trying to use still the oil and trying to avoid and shifting to more renewable sources. So I feel like this is not gonna change the, the environment we have in Mexico. This is not gonna make a strong change because we know that uh, AMLO is focusing on everything else in, instead of just trying to use more renewable sources. Um, I just kind of want to add a point of like the environment in general. I think like, um, I know that Mexico is one of the most diverse countries. Like we have deserts, beaches, and there's also um, rainforests. So it has a really diverse fauna and uh, flora. So I think it's like really important to like take care of it because as Regina said about the vaquita, um, vaquita marina, it's like one of like the species that is like 100% like from Mexico. And it's like, it's a pride to have like that many type, you know, like, uh, sorry, the diversity of animals, like, I don't know, as a citizen, I think like it's something to be proud of because like we have so much like diversity and I think it's really important to take care of it, especially now since like how we're seeing um, the climate change is a thing and that we need to take action. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That information about the endangered species is very, very jarring. And I think it just shows how much we need to do in order to preserve our biodiversity on this planet and also just our environment in general. So definitely looking out for the environment will probably be a big priority. And I'm not sure how far the president is into his presidency, but I know that he does serve a six year term. So I was wondering if you guys think that after the social pressure he faced for being a bit flimsy, you know, when interacting with other world leaders, whether that's gonna change I don't know, his strength in terms of conversation presence. Unfortunately, I don't think so. Um, of course, the US has the biggest influence on Mexico being its neighbor and sort of been like a bully um, in most cases for several years, uh, centuries. But unfortunately, uh, what the president of Mexico has adopted for his policy is to focus on domestic policy. He's like the best foreign policy is domestic policy. So to him, he's sort of been retiring from the international order um, since he has become president in the past two years. So he has still four more years to go. And he says his main focus is to combat cor corruption, which has been one of the biggest issues in Mexico and which won him the presidency. Um, his attempt to fix it. But unfortunately, um, that has also been failing. 
and he has actively tried to go against environmental, um, it, I guess, policies that could benefit the country. Uh, he has actually proposed as one of his main objectives to construct the Tren Maya, the Mayan train, which would connect the Yucatan Peninsula, which is in the south of Mexico. But unfortunately, with this construction, it would completely destroy the biodiversity that's found there, since that's where a lot of rainforests are located and where there's just a diverse set of animals, flora, fauna, uh, and people still living there, uh, native indigenous Mayans that still live there. So it would completely relocate them as well. So it would really hurt the environment uh, that's been protected since the beginning of time. So unfortunately, not only is he avoiding it, he's actively going against uh, helping these environmental issues. And I unfortunately don't think international pressure, unless it comes from the US and even then I'm doubtful would really change his mind. Uh, I totally agree with what uh, Regina mentioned. Uh, I feel like the issue with AMLO is that he doesn't even realize what he's doing wrong, even though there's a lot of backlash about everything he does. There's always some articles, some people trying to say what he's doing wrong, wrong, but still like he doesn't even realize what's happening and he just tries to minimize all of the opposition. And so that's the issue that he doesn't even recognize that not everyone is in agreement with him and not everyone is happy with the president or the presidency in general. He just tries to avoid all of that opposition and tries to say that they're lying, that they're part of the uh, the neoliberalism period, which he mentions is like all of the last presidents that were in Mexico. And so he's just trying to minimize all of the mistakes of his presidency by saying that they are lies, that it's people against him and that it's not even true. They don't have the information that he has different information. And so I feel like that's the biggest issue that he's not willing to see what's going on. He's not open to other opinions rather than the ones that are supporting him. And uh, yeah, he's, he's trying to just do whatever he wants and focusing on the economy. Cause also like, as Regina mentioned, the Mayan train, even though it would be creating new, uh, new jobs for the people in the South, which is a part of the country that's been really left out uh, regarding the economy. And that doesn't even have like a good economy. Just, it's just based on tourism mainly. So uh, that would be a good side, but the issue is that the money needed to do this train and the plan for the train is not the most suitable one right now, but he's still focusing on doing it. Even though a lot of scientists have said that it's not uh, a good idea for the environment and there's other options for it but he's still focused on doing whatever he wants and that's the problem that the money needed for this type of projects is taken out of uh for example healthcare. that right now there's a huge issue with uh children's in hospital that don't have any um medicine for cancer for example and so instead of trying to give money to these type of issues that are really urgent he's just focusing on creating more jobs even though it's damaging the environment or trying to give money to the south of the country, which is good, but he's taking the money out of healthcare or taking it out of uh, the arts and the sciences, which needs to be uh, supported in Mexico. So the problem is that, that his focus is really narrow. He's trying to do his plan of uh, giving Mexico a, a better economy, even though he has to take money out of everything else. 
Yeah, it sounds like that sounds pretty concerning. And it sounds like a big theme in our governments currently is instant gratification. You know, this idea of doing things immediately because they'll benefit maybe a small group of people in the near future, but not thinking about the lasting impact either on minorities or on the environment that'll build up over time. So here's to hoping our politicians will gain a bit more morality and think things through a bit more and stick to their word. Um, so now I'd like to thank you guys so much for sharing with us today and for taking the time to come onto the podcast. Now that our conversation is ending, I'd like to offer an opportunity to share with students how they can get involved in your club. So how can people get involved? Sure, so uh, we have an Instagram, uh, which we mainly use as our social media, and uh, which is uh, mexsbu. We also have uh, an email, which is mexsbu.edu. So if you're gonna wanna get in touch, if you wanna become part of the, of the club, you can just send us a message through Instagram or an email and we can give you information about our next, um, our next plans for the semester. Well, thank you for joining me today. I love Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you for listening in on this episode of the Politica podcast, where we discussed Mexico's political climate with the Mexican Students Association of Boston University. Please make sure to subscribe to The Politica to hear about our regional series. For more content like this, check out our publication and website as well. See you next time.